0: Welcome to Fresno's Best Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. Today we have Sonia Mermond on the show. Sonia is currently the field manager for StoryCorps' One Small Step project in the Central Valley. She received her master's degree in public history and museum studies at UC Riverside, and shortly thereafter moved to Sydney, Australia. During her four years there, she worked across the arts sector and eventually became the assistant executive director at Diversity Arts Australia, a national arts advocacy organization. Sonia is also a freelance creative producer and is on leadership team for Fresno's Inhabit Arts Collaborative. She is passionate about increasing equity and access in the arts and regularly serves as a panelist in the California Arts Council's grants. Her projects are grounded in inclusive storytelling and reciprocity, collaboration and mentorship. Sonia lives on Yokuts land in Visalia. The focus of our conversation today is Sonia's work with One Small Step. One Small Step from StoryCorps is an effort to reconnect Americans one conversation at a time. Participants in the program will meet someone new, a community member with different views who they may never have talked to otherwise, for a simple, personal, 50-minute conversation. One Small Step's goal is to help us move beyond labels like Democrat and Republican and into life experiences that shaped how each of us sees the world. At the end of our conversation, we'll provide more information about how you can participate if you're interested. So let's go meet Sonia Mermond.
1: the best little city left in the U.S. Fresno's best. Fresno's best.
0: Uh, So Sonia, where do you like to eat in, let's do both. So where do you like to eat in Fresno first? And then we'll talk about Visalia.
1: Well, I don't spend as much time in Fresno as I would like. When I'm in Fresno, it's usually like work stuff. So I, you know, I come and sometimes I'll eat something quickly and I leave. So I do like, there's a pokey place I really like called Butterfish that I go to because it's, it's quick and it's good. And it feels like pretty healthy, um, but there's also like this isn't really a restaurant; it's more of a bakery situation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bakery called Bread Basket in, oh. I think it's like Ashland is the street Fresno and Ashland. Okay, North Fresno Street. It's just like an Armenian bakery, but their lahmajun is really good. Like the meat, the meat pizzas, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And like, I like to buy them and freeze them because they freeze really well. And I don't, I'm not normally a fan. I mean, I like Lafmasjun, but I'm not crazy about it, but there's is like, it's really good. And so explain, also, explain
0: the crust for people, what that's like. It's a little different, right?
1: <laughs> well, the Armenian one is different. So my husband's Lebanese. So Lebanese Lafmasjun is a little bit more like spongy, the crust. And the Armenian one is like flakier, which is mm what I like about it it's like crispy and flaky and has layers and and I think they must put some pomegranate molasses in their meat mixture because it's got like a sweet and sour it's just it's so good it's so good and their their sweets are good too they have these really good sweet breads that they're called nazuk. they're like they're like crispy on the outside and have like a sugar buttery feeling on the inside and then it just melds when you bake it it's so good it's so good
0: That sounds wonderful. I, I mean, I I think a lot of people tend to associate baking with certain cultures, but every culture bakes and they do interesting things with it. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's a, that's a great recommendation for people to experiment with some new things.
1: It's great. Uh, And the woman who runs it is really like a ray of sunshine. She's so nice. She told me her whole life story when I went and picked (laughs) up some bread, Um, which is funny
0: because I'm watching the show. Um, there's a show called Barry. Um, it's this HBO show that's about like a. It's, he's played by Bill Hader. He's like a hitman in Hollywood, and uh. <laughs> in the newest season, all the different characters all are obsessed with these beignets from this like hipster bakery uh, somewhere in LA, and they all go to this like stoner character who runs the bakery to ask for advice, um, and he's just like their kind of therapist as they're eating all these breaded products and. Yeah, no, I, I get it completely. Let's jump into StoryCorps in one small step. Um, and we got a bunch of things to talk about with it, but I just want to okay. kind of set context to start. So um, I think most people have heard of StoryCorps. Um, maybe You'd not. You'd be
1: surprised. You'd be surprised. Maybe, okay, all right. I'm, I'm just
0: assuming my audience has heard generally about okay. it. Maybe not one small step. So let's yeah. do kind of a quick overview of what StoryCorps is and why, where it came from, but then maybe a, a, a bit more detail on one small step and then we'll get into some of the stories.
1: Yeah, so StoryCorps, yeah, it's interesting. Either some people are obsessed with StoryCorps or some people know nothing about it and there's not many people who are like in between, which is really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But StoryCorps is the largest collection of human voices ever gathered. So it's a project that essentially, um, Seeks, it's an oral history profit, profit, not for profit. So they seek to uh, collect the stories of everyday people. And those stories then get archived at the American Folklife Center at the Library of Congress. So there's this like larger historical mission that really acknowledges that everybody has an important story inside of them that is a part of a larger history that we are all, you know, a part of history, which I love because my background is, is as a historian, I have my master's in history in public history. So, um, that aligns uh, really well with, with my values. Um, but StoryCorps got started in Grand Central Terminal in our Grand Central Station in 2003, I believe, or 2008. Uh, I get threes and eights confused, <laughs> <laughs> in but the 2000s. Uh, in, the two, in the early 2000s. Um, and so we've been around for a while now, but the story core that people are familiar with you know it's usually a conversation between loved ones who like grandma and grandchild mother and son who you know that those two people want to sit down together for 40 minutes and have a conversation and maybe ask each other questions that they've never had the opportunity to ask one another and have kind of a deeper meaningful interaction um and then you know have that archived so that's story core generally you know we have different ways to record we have the mobile the mobile team that goes around in the airstream which has been to fresno a couple of times already we've got some booths that are set up in a few different cities across the us we've got the app a few different ways so one small step is different in that we pair strangers up together so that's kind of the first point of difference amongst uh from the other uh, story projects that we do um, the conversations are 50 minutes and the goal of a one small step conversation is to really remind everyone of our shared humanity, despite our differences. So we pair people up who have different social views from each other, political views, uh, different sets of lived experience. The goal is really to match people who maybe would have never had a conversation, would have never crossed paths in their daily lives before overarching goal of one small step is really to do something about polarization the polarization that we're all feeling you know in the u.s currently maybe since 2016 maybe since before that um and really do something about it but from a very personal place using storytelling
0: there's a book that came out a little while ago called why we are polarized in the book he talks about how people have sorted themselves into parties based on psychological attributes Mm -hmm. um And then there's been a lot of research about, you know, why people are liberal, why people are conservative and those kinds of perspectives. Why do you think conversation is a tool uh, to get at this? Um, If, if, if people are so tribal and they're so Mm -hmm. sorted and are, we've been delineated into these parties, what, what can conversation do to, to try and ease that?
1: Yeah. I think conversation can do a lot. I think One of the theories that one small step is built around is contact theory. I think it's like a psychology term, that idea of putting two people from, you know, opposing quote unquote, opposing groups together uh, to have a meaningful conversation. And that can over time uh, decrease prejudice between those groups. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's pretty, that's what the founding theory of one small step is. It's what it's built on. Um, I think I mean I have witnessed thing like personally uh, contact theory work in front of my in front of me as a facilitator for one small step conversations. It's ultimately, I think, what conversation can do is render concrete the like we we have the idea of what the other person from the other side will look like and sound like. You know, we we create the boogeyman in our heads, and then it actually makes those those that group quote unquote seem much more different than they actually are you know and it makes us forget that we all want the best for ourselves and for our family and for our society and that we're all just looking we're all just after a common good and i think what conversation can do is remind us that we actually all want the same things maybe we have different ways of getting there you know, and and that's I think where conversation is really useful, and having that exchange and that dialogue, and, and practicing curiosity as opposed to like assuming malintent from the other side. So yeah, that's that's what I've witnessed as a facilitator is just that kind of undoing of what we've assumed that that other person to believe, you know. And also, it it brings out nuance, like something that um, we talk about in in the one small step team at StoryCorps is like whenever we tell people what we, about the work we do is they say, oh, so you work in nuance and it's true. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot more gray to our world than, than black and white. We want to think that we are so polarized and, you know, some people are all on one end some people are on the other, but actually so many people are kind of in that awkward middle gray space or are just confused or just over it.
0: (laughs) I think what you're accidentally teaching people is intersectionality, right? So like, yeah. Because when people you know people tend to essentialize each other's identities you know mm-hmm. um and then when they talk you know they figure out oh we have this in common and then they learned you know oh you're you're not only a white person or you're not only a black person or you're not mm-hmm. only whatever Uh, but you're also these things. And so that makes our relationship more complicated. Let me push back though. Well, how would you respond to someone that suggests that people are not changing or growing in these conversations? What they're doing is they're just trying to make the conversation go easily. And so they're modifying their behavior to be polite in the same way that, you know, when you show up to Thanksgiving and you've got that horrible uncle uh, (laughs) that you have to deal with, like we all do. You listen to him talk and you're polite back, um, but you're not going to change anything. You're just trying to manage that social situation. So how would you respond to that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And look, sometimes, sometimes that does happen, but we also have facilitators in, in the room for one small step conversations and their role is to well, they have a few different roles. One is to make sure that it's, it's safe for everyone involved, that no one is harmed, that the ground rules are being stuck to. And one of those ground rules is, you know, don't try to convince your partner of your opinion, don't debate, but also their role is to make sure that it kind of moves beyond that polite kind of small talk, which, you know, with strangers can happen. And, and because we are pairing strangers up and it's a 50 minute conversation, sometimes some of that time is spent just getting to know each other. But but the facilitator's role is really to kind of push people to ask those questions and, and be curious about each other. I mean, ultimately the goal isn't necessarily to talk about politics with this project because we we aren't trying to create a forum where people try to convince the other person of their point of view. It's really just to provide a place where people can discuss their points of view and discuss their lived experience, their personal stories that got them to where they are today. Not so much what they believe, but why they believe it. Hmm. So the um, facilitators, yeah, they, they really, they do a great job of, of getting people there.
0: So let me ask you this. Why, why in particular did StoryCorps and One Small Step want to stay in the Valley? What do you think, Makes the valley interesting enough uh, to keep them here.
1: Yeah. So the the project initially started um, last year with a partnership with with Valley Public Radio, which is how I got my start with the project. So I was actually on the radio station side of things. StoryCorps has this pro this partnership program that goes into communities, partners with their local NPR station, and they run the program for a year. That program ended, and then StoryCorps liked what they saw, so they decided to stay in Fresno, which I was thrilled about because I really felt like I had just gotten started. I, I felt like there was so many more stories to uncover and I, I had done 25 at that point. And part of the reason why StoryCorps decided to stay was because we had a list of like so many people we had not gotten to who had signed up for One Small Step. So there, the demand was there. Okay. Um, also there was a lot of diversity in the signups. So, you know, cultural diversity, racial diversity, because that's just the nature of the Central Valley, but also diversity of lived experience. You know, you've got people in ag, you've got rural communities, you've got more urban communities, you've got people who have moved recently, people have been here for generations. So really like the breadth of stories that, that are here in this Valley, like I think, I think it blew StoryCorps' mind and it blew my mind too, because I moved here like a year and a half ago So this was, this project was a crash course in the central valley for me. And I, I was, I felt really lucky to have this means of getting to know my new home through the stories of really amazing people. I met some really cool people who lived like 10,000 lives before coming here.
0: (laughs) There's a lot of stereotypes about who lives here that are not accurate, that people's lives are a certain way if you live here that are not accurate. But there is some truth in that this is a hard place to live. And, you know, in some ways to live here, you've got to be a really strong person. And that Mm -hmm. really forms you into someone that has a lot of interesting attributes. (laughs) If you stay here a long time, uh, some of the stuff you've got to go through. Um, So let's jump into some of the stories. So what are what are one or two of the stories that stuck out or stuck out to you and why?
1: Oh, there are so many good ones. Like I actually struggled. We, we had to choose three of the 25 to edit and put on the air last year. And I struggled. I actually, we ended up going with four because there were just so many good ones. One of them that has stayed with me, there were two, two of my youngest participants. They were both under the age of 30 I think they were both like 27 or 28 and Martine and Emma and Martine actually, he ran for Kings County supervisor recently. So like very driven, very, yeah, very interesting guy. And Emma is a school teacher and she and her husband are foster parents. So they, so both Emma and Martine really struck me because they were just so engaged with their communities, even though they were so young and just, had so much care for the people around them and, and just were committed to a life of service. You know, Martin also works in ag and he worked really hard to get vaccines out to farm workers in his community. So just like really amazing things. And they were very different politically, but they came to this beautiful place of understanding when they talked about their love of community and their commitment to service which I think is really just like an exemplary one small step conversation. Cause it really goes to show, you know, at the end of the day, we all just want the best for our communities. And that looks pretty similar between both parties uh, really when, when it comes down to everyday people, not like, you know, politicians who are pandering for votes.
0: (laughs) Are you noticing that there's different patterns of how people kind of navigate through those conversations and what are, what are some of those patterns?
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting because I think the, I think that participants come into this project wanting to find similarities first, okay. like which is really uh, it's heartening to see, you know, that they come in and they're automatically like, oh, like you did this, I did that too. You were in the navy, I was in the navy too. You know, they're they're trying to draw those similarities right off the bat and. As facilitators, we kind of need to remind them like, hey, you guys are actually really different. Do you want to talk about those differences? Um, They do come at it first from points of similarity. That happens really often. And then, I mean, it's really different for everyone. Like, I know with like, sometimes I pair, I, I have purposely paired people up who have military backgrounds. And so they sometimes bond over that shared experience of leaving the military and feeling you know, like not really a part of society fully and, and feeling a bit isolated and then tying in, you know, the isolation of being in different like bands of politics. And that's that journey. It, it just depends on each individual, but it is really amazing to see people coming at it, like really like looking to find really to connect, to have that similarity. And a lot of participants end up exchanging contact information and like hanging out afterwards becoming friends which is so exciting to see it's happened with last year it happened with like at least three of my pairings of the 25 that i know of and some like continued to see each other like they their families became friends and you know they They came at it with curiosity and with openness, which I think is the most, it's just the most amazing part to see, because I think if you're just stuck in internet world and you're scrolling (laughs) and you're seeing, you know, all the memes and all the hot takes and everyone's being very snarky towards the other party, then it it makes you feel like icky about the world, you know, and like it feels quite negative. And so then to just go out in the real world and see two people who maybe have posted memes like that themselves face to face, you know, saying, Oh, you did, you were in the military. I was in the military too. Like, let's bond over that. That's amazing. Really just. Yeah. Have Have you
0: seen conversations go wrong and what do you think happens when they do?
1: Yeah. So of my 25 last year, I would say, I would say one went quote unquote wrong. I mean, It wasn't necessarily like no one I think felt harmed, but I think that one of those people who entered the conversation didn't quite understand that it was like a personal storytelling kind of project. So they very much wanted to stay in this very ideological place. And as a facilitator, I kept having to step in and say, hey, you know, this isn't really The point of this project we're not we're not talking from up here you know we're talking from personal experience and it just didn't seem to get through and so you know at that point you know you just call it as a facilitator that you know that also the facilitator is well within their right like if that's why we have ground rules and if they're not being followed or respected then they can just call it but it doesn't happen too often i have to say like of all 25 last year one of them was that happened and the rest were pretty amazing because people who sign up want to do it it's yeah, self
0: selecting right yeah. yeah 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 and i think mm-hmm. most people approach conversations with strangers with charity i don't think mm-hmm. that's an unusual thing i think that's kind of in human nature to do that um, yeah it's rare especially the in sense cent- seeking conflict you know
1: yeah especially in the central valley like i found i mean of all the places i've lived people here are so friendly <laughs> like very friendly and very kind. That's like one of my, I mean, I live in Visalia and that's one of my favorite things about this place is I could just be sitting, you know, a component at the cafe and just talk to the person next to me and they'll they'll be really excited to talk to me. I've lived in places where people do not want to do that. (laughs) People want to just look at you and turn away, you know? I think, I also think that's one of the reasons why One Small Step works so well here. It's Mm. just like, People are naturally curious about each other and, and open to talking to one another as well.
0: So, we're going to jump into a section now I call overrated versus underrated, where I'm going to throw some people, things, places at you, and you tell me whether you think they're over or underrated. Feel free to pass uh, on any of them. So, okay. first one is uh, Tadig over or underrated?
1: Oh, it's underrated. Why? Because a lot of people don't know what it is. And I feel bad for them because they're missing out. It's the best part of the rice,
0: <laughs> and the word just means like the bottom of the pot, right? Um, bottom
1: of the pot, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. but so what, but,
0: what? 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 What makes it? Because it's just it. I mean, to a, a naive person, it just looks like oh, you burnt the rice a little bit on the bottom. That's what it looks like.
1: Oh. Why? Is, why are they wrong? Why are they wrong? <laughs> because it's like a whole process. We we actually do a lot to get that that layer. So it's not like ooh. I made it. It's a mistake, you know. It's actually like a very curated, multi-step process that takes maybe an hour or more if you want it to be nice and thick and crunchy. And it's it's just magic. I can't I can't get it right. I can't get it right. And you can do so much with it. You can eat it by itself. You can put some like some of like those Persian stews on top and use it as like a vehicle for that. Oh, it's so good! It's just I'm making you hungry now. <laughs> yeah,
0: I haven't been able to do it very. I've tried it maybe twice. Oh, wow! Obvious, obviously, I'm impressed. Well, thank you. I, and I, um, some things you you just need someone to to be there with you through the mm-hmm. process, if that makes sense. And I just, yeah. you know, as an outsider, I just I don't feel confident. Um, yeah,
1: there's a lot right. of anecdotal tricks as well to get it right. And like,
0: that's what I've heard. I need a grandmother's it's hands. You do. Um, <laughs> next one uh, Sequoia National Park, over underrated?
1: Underrated. People don't even know what it is sometimes. Even Californians have never been. That's yeah, because I think it,
0: it gets overshadowed by its big brother, Yosemite, and hmm. make the case for someone that lives in LA driving up why they should make a detour and go to Sequoia and not Yosemite.
1: Because it's one of the few places where you will feel like completely insignificant and you should feel insignificant at some point in your life it's an important feeling to have but not in a bad way insignificant as in like when you go yeah yeah, in a cosmic sense when you go those trees are going to be there and they were there well before you
0: yeah Yeah. it is kind of cool because you feel like You feel like an ant, you know, or feel like some kind of small creature amongst giants. And it tends to be less crowded than Yosemite. That's another case for it. You know, you can have kind of your secluded moments of just, you know, total tranquility in the middle of the woods. Uh, Whereas Yosemite at this point is just Disneyland. So, uh, you know, it's it's a tough. All right. Next one's a shot in the dark, but we'll see if you get it. Uh, Paying rent weekly over or underrated?
1: Oh gosh. Um,
0: and this is an Australia question. It's
1: an Australian thing. It <laughs> I would say I would say it's underrated. I, I never paid So rent, it's a good
0: actually, thing. You think it's a good I was, thing?
1: I think it's I think maybe it probably helps people with budgeting, but also okay. in Australia you get paid some places pay you weekly. So it's all it's all on that schedule. So maybe it wouldn't work here the mm-hmm. system, but in Australia like everything is weekly or like every two weeks. So mm-hmm. It's a little different. What do you different? think
0: culturally that's attributable to? I don't Why, know. I think, are they more like more focused on the small things? Is that what that is? You think?
1: I think it's a British thing. I think it comes okay. from like a British system. Okay. I, I remember I looked into it because when I first went to Australia and I was looking at bread prices, I was like, wow, that's cheap.
0: <laughs> mm. Yeah. That's <laughs> going to be realize. misleading if you're an outsider and an immigrant. Yeah. Um, next one. Uh, sourdough crust on pizza. Over underrated.
1: I would say overrated. Why? Because you don't need sourdough to make a pizza sing. Mm, okay. You you can you can achieve like a really like Neapolitan style pizza isn't necessarily made with sourdough crust, it's made with yeast, but the crust is like the best part there. So you can there's other elements to it besides the sourdough flavor.
0: So there are some things that we see on the internet that are not worth our time. Good to know. Yeah. no No. uh next (laughs) one shocking yeah i know i know uh the next one uh the book reading lolita in tehran over underrated
1: my god i think i read that book like 10 years ago so i would say it's probably underrated but i also don't remember the book well enough to tell you why it's underrated
0: yeah it's it's one of those books that people associate Kind of with persian culture but maybe mm. it's been over associated you know how some maybe
1: books... yeah i mean there's so many others that have come out since and and it's a very specific perspective right it's like someone who went back after living overseas and so you know it's probably a perspective that we're familiar with seeing now at this point we've seen it again it's mm-hmm. probably dated if someone reads it now
0: makes sense yeah. to me yeah. um next one uh uh, and you brought it up, which is funny because I was going to ask it. Uh, Component Cafe's donuts over underrated.
1: Oh, gosh. Okay. I was just thinking about them, actually, because <laughs> I was looking at them on Instagram. <laughs> I think they're overrated.
0: <gasps> oh, no. Why?
1: Okay. Okay. I have a lot of thoughts on these. Go so ahead. Fire away. I think that they're that, like their pistachio flavor that they had recently. It was good. The flavor was good. But the donut, it's too ready it's too Mm -hmm. doughy for my liking some people like the doughy donut i don't like the doughy donut i like the fluffy light Mm -hmm. donut on the inside like scotty's here in visalia is good
0: all right next one uh the various gardens in sydney australia
1: like the botanical gardens Mm -hmm. or oh they're amazing i think i wouldn't say they're underrated but they're not i think they're just like like they're the hype is true. The
0: hype is the hype is true. Okay. The hype is true. Which is your yeah. favorite in Sydney?
1: Oh my gosh. There's just so many. I love, I mean, the botanical gardens are amazing and it seems like an obvious choice, but I, the first few months that I lived there, I volunteered at the museum of Sydney. So I, which is right next to the botanical gardens. And I would go there and eat my lunch and look at the water and just like a really amazing, peaceful place. There's some, it's big enough where there are like peaceful pockets, mm. surprisingly. Yeah.
0: Okay. Next one. Uh, saffron as a flavor over underrated.
1: See, I also have feelings about this. So okay. are they blasphemous
0: <laughs> feelings or are they?
1: No, kind of no, feelings? no. I just think that people don't know how to control the use of saffron. Some, mm-hmm. I think people overdo it. You don't need that much. Okay. Like it's, it's beautiful in it's subtlety. So mm-hmm. I think, um, So a
0: little pinch in the little grinder with some water, yes. then that's yeah all you've you to
1: You've got to treat it well. You've got to bloom it. You know, you got to grind it up a bit. A lot of people don't do that. They'll just bloom it. They don't grind it. So I think that it's just needs, we need more saffron education.
0: Mm, I agree. And answer. what's a, what's a beginner level thing. I mean, I mean, obviously just mixing it with rice, but, um, what's something that people can do if they're, uh, testing out their culinary muscle? Mm, on
1: it. That's a good question. You know, I would say it's, it's interesting to see it. Like when you're melting it into some sort of fat, like butter or something, and then maybe you could like pour that over some fish, pour that butter over rice, just to give you a sense of like how much you actually need, you know, like actually practicing, like pouring it over something, blooming Mm. it, sprinkling it into the butter and then pouring it over just to give you a sense like, oh, like actually it's really good in this smaller quantity, you know? Mm.
0: Next one, uh, tall poppy syndrome.
1: Oh my gosh. You you did your research on Aussie terms. <laughs>
0: yeah. Is that something I mean, that it's, uh, it's it, real. you embraced? I mean, embrace is the right, not the right word, but something that is, uh, was a useful I experienced, yeah. I experienced
1: it. Yeah. No, I, it's, I found it quite toxic, actually. Okay. Um, All right.
0: Explain, explain what it is for people.
1: So, I mean, I'm probably going to botch this, but it's like, it's like this kind of cultural thing in Australia, where if you um, go above and beyond, like in the U S we reward that we give people gold stars, but in Australia, you kind of get like cut down if you're a tall poppy, hmm. because it's like, who do you think you are? Like you're kind of seen as like, you're kind of like full of yourself so, I mean, I definitely feel like I experienced that working in non for profit arts sector, especially the organization I was working for. We, we were like a advocacy group for artists of color and we were doing work that hadn't been done at all before. So um, there was kind of that sense of like, who do you guys think you are? So def- I definitely felt the effects of tall poppy syndrome and it was quite toxic. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Do you miss that hole over the ozone layer?
1: <laughs> the sun there is like yeah. another breed of sun. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: what I've heard. I'm a, I'm afraid I've never been and I probably will never go because of my poor pasty skin.
1: Yeah, no. You need to like I-, I used to not care about sunscreen until I moved there and then I was like, "Oh, is this why people wear sunscreen?" Like th- for this reason,
0: <laughs> I would have to have a regimented approach. Um, yeah. last one, uh, scoring technique on sourdough over underrated.
1: I think it's overrated because I fell down a rabbit hole where I was trying to do it perfectly. And then it just, I realized I didn't need to, like, I could just make a line through it and it mm-hmm. just needs, it just needs the place to go. You know, it just needs to grow the bread. It just doesn't need to look beautiful. And sometimes food that is too beautiful doesn't always taste good.
0: (laughs) Yes. Well, and I, you know, I think it's one of those things where looking at other people's and Mm -hmm. you're kind of comparing yourself, but then, you know, you go to tartine or whatever and they'll hand you a roll and, you know, it doesn't have to be beautiful, but it, the taste, you know what I mean? And so it's
1: tartine. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it is. (laughs) Um, All right. So let's, uh, let's jump back into a few more uh, things related to StoryCorps in one small step. We've already talked a little bit about moving forward. What do you feel like you've learned are these central connection points for people in the Valley? And then what do you feel like are our big obstacles that we need to overcome?
1: Yeah, I think that it's interesting to see like what came out as like bipartisan issues mm-hmm. with this project in the central valley in particular, I think that some things that really surprised me were, you know, the way people talk about climate and climate change. Mm -hmm. It seemed to me just in those 25 conversations last year that people could agree that climate change was real. Like they didn't really maybe get into why they thought that it happened or how to deal with, or they, or they differed in how they wanted to deal with climate change, but Considering where we live and you know the very close relationship we have with climate and and its effects, people across the board, people were like, "Yes, this is a thing that exists," which I found really interesting. That um, is
0: interesting. I think in in the big metropolitan areas and the coasts, uh, it just means you water your lawn a little less or something. Yeah. But here, you know, people actually run out of water, and people have wells that go dry, and so there's like some pretty present realities for. Yeah. Or, you know, and people attribute it to different things, you know, like, oh, well, yeah. you know, the dam is not releasing enough water, which is why, you know, it's like, no, that's because the aquifers are getting sucked up. But, you know, in a long story short, um, yeah, I think people are just in a visceral way more cognizant of it. And But I yeah. also agree, it makes sense to me that they just have, you know, because of their tribal identities with which party they follow, they'll have different mm-hmm. thoughts about how to fix it and who the problem is, I'm sure.
1: yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: Interesting. Are there other, are there other bipartisan points that you noticed in the conversation?
1: Um, Well, something that came up again and again is like a love of Fresno or a love of the central Valley. Like everyone who participated, like there was always like these moments in the conversation where people would acknowledge, you know, that they're living in a place that is usually overlooked, ignored looked down upon, you know, that kind of underdog sentiment, it came up again and again, no matter where, who I was talking to and where they were in the Valley. You know, I interviewed people, most of the people were in Fresno, but there were some people in Bakersfield, Visalia, Hanford. And, and there was just this sentiment of, we, we live in a very special place and, and not a lot of people acknowledge that. So that came up, you know, across all political ideas, which I found pretty positive. Like it was a positive, beautiful thing to, to witness, especially someone who just moved here. Um, which I, I know that, you know, that's kind of how you came into this world of podcasting, you know, to kind of learn about the place you're in and, and yeah, it's, it's really powerful to kind of just like, let the people tell you why this place is cool and why, why you're lucky to be here.
0: (laughs) I think it's a place that you come in with perceptions and then those they're slowly unraveled. And Mm -hmm. I think it's, you know, I think it's really just about caring, you know, it's really just Mm -hmm. looking at a place and being curious about it. Being curious about the other people that are near you and what people do. And, you know, I think it's something that we all need to do um, is care about where we live and be more Mm -hmm. local in our communities. And that's what you're doing. So I applaud you for that. And it's a great, oh, it's great you. work, you know, and what, uh, hopefully it's effects ripple out, uh, beyond these people, these people are going to go back to their communities and mm-hmm. share their experiences. And hopefully that channels more work and, uh, yeah. between people and uh, let's close with books. Um, what are a few book recommendations you have for listeners?
1: Oh, I have so many. Um, so right now I'm reading, I actually have it right here. It's called Four Lost Cities, A Secret History of the Urban Age. So I'm like halfway through it. And it's like an archaeology book, but also an anthropology book and also a memoir. It's a little Mm. bit of everything. It's cool because, yeah. So the author goes through, I think they're journalists and they go through four different cities. Shatel Hayuk, which is in Turkey, um, Pompeii. Angkor Wat, and I can't remember the fourth one, um, but she, they go through them and basically undo the idea of like cities that um, were lost, that mm-hmm. they just disappeared out of nothing, uh, which I think is really interesting. I think that there's a lot of ties you can make to the current era. Like that's what I, I mean, that's what I love. My undergrad degree is in anthropology archaeology and that was one of my favorite things was like looking to the past to see to learn about the future to learn about the present and so she basically is undoing that idea of like the lost city and and really getting to the core of like no there were a lot of things that happened you know maybe plague maybe social upheaval or you know volcano (laughs) or even well even that like she Uh she says that um before the volcano erupted there was an earthquake and even before that like Pompeii was this city with many different people, many different cultures, and there was always a bit of friction. Um, yeah, it's just really interesting. It's just That was the yeah. coolest
0: place I've ever been was going to Pompeii it's so and, cool, and walking down the little corridors to like, mm-hmm. and I remember just sitting on like what appeared to be uh, an ancient stool where someone would have apparently had kebab <laughs> and just going like, man, like the last yeah. time, you know, there was the seat was functional, you know, there's there's Ancient Romans just sitting in that seat. It's just wild. Yeah. It uh, blows my mind. It
1: is wild. It is truly amazing that yeah, a place like that exists and it's intact. Um, but yeah, it's a cool book. It's like a social history kind of thing. Um, and then let's see, I finished not that long ago. There's these two books that go together, also kind of in the like classics uh world, uh Circe and Song mm. of Achilles. Um, They're both by Madeline Miller and they're like modern reinterpretations of ancient Greek myths. I'm a sucker for that genre. So like Circe kind of takes the story of like the crazy witch on the island who turns men into animals um, and kind of gives you context as to why she would do that. It's like a feminist retelling of, Mm -hmm. of that book. It's really good. I couldn't, I could not put it down. And Song of Achilles is like a retelling of Achilles but like through like the lens of like a queer love story so it's, it's just like beautiful and just yeah heartbreaking so, Which
0: The Fresno County Library just had that as their uh, book club book for the month of May was the song. of the oh,
1: And oh. there, was some, there was some
0: very fast. I was, you know, of course, I'm part of the book club um, and uh, very fascinating uh, forum discussions about that book. Um, it's good. It, you know, mostly positive, but definitely interesting where the conversations went. So,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's the world of classics has some kind of stuffy people who
0: sure. think
1: that like everything is set in stone. It's like, they're stories. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. <laughs>
1: they were stories to begin with. I have more books. I can keep going, but- Okay, can...
0: give us give us a couple more in the morning. Oh gosh, up.
1: okay. Um, I love speculative fiction.
0: Mm. So
1: um, Parable of the Sower. And, mm-hmm. and then I can't remember the book that comes after that. Amazing, like can't put it down. And I think I, I read it like before COVID mm-hmm. and then- <laughs> during COVID I was like oh my god this is like the parable of the sower um and also like she's from she was from Pasadena area so the where she sets the book is kind of it it kind of reminds me I grew up in Southern California so it reminds me of those kind of areas near the you know the foothills um and then Margaret Atwood as well the Oryx and Craig trilogy of Margaret Atwood which is one of the books that not many people think about when they think of Margaret Atwood but it's one of my favorite series of books. Yeah. Um, so let's yeah.
0: close by talking about, um, where people can find you and how they can sign up and just kind of the steps and procedures and how it works if uh, people are interested in participating.
1: Yeah. So if people want to participate, um, you, they can certainly sign up, uh, take slash Fresno. Uh, there's a questionnaire there that you can fill out and it's pretty short. We ask you to, kind of indicate what your views are, you know, on a scale of one to 10, one most liberal, 10 most conservative, what are your social views? What are your economic views? Then you're asked to write a short bio and that bio is then what your future conversation partner sees and you, and vice versa, that's the only thing you see of your conversation partner before you are scheduled and you, and you have your conversation. So that's just something to keep in mind for people if they want to sign up, like, you know, be thoughtful about how you want to uh, tell your story, present yourself to your future conversation partner. Um, so that's one way to go about it. I also, I'm the field manager for Fresno in the Central Valley. So I look after partnerships as well. So, you know, if there's any organizations out there who want to partner in, in this project, they see some affinity, maybe some of their members might be interested in participating. Um, you know, we can get really creative with how these partnerships go, but, uh, they can certainly contact me. Um, there's the one small step email address, one small step, uh, at storycorps.org, I believe. Um, and that's everyone on the team checks that. And I will certainly check that, but that's also, um, another route is the partnership route. And, um, yeah, you know, I've in the past, I've got, given talks at rotary clubs, lions clubs, wherever people think that, you know, people might wanna hear about this project and maybe sign up themselves. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I, I try to get audience to interact a bit and uh, talk to me about polarization and, and the way they see things as well.
0: Fresno's best. Thanks for listening, everybody. As always, you can support this podcast by leaving us a rating and review or by making a financial contribution at our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com slash Best. We'll see you next time.